When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the latest edition of ESPN FC. I'm Dan Thomas, joined by Alan Renault and Stevie Nicol. Only one place to start today's show, and that is in Manchester. Not a lot happened in the first half. We'll take it straight to the 60th minute, where we'd see City open the scoring. De Bruyne to Grealish, 1-0. Yeah, it's a beautiful little ball to the far post. Just, just set up from De Bruyne up. Takes out all the United defenders and a nice header from Grealish. And here is the moment that everybody is talking about. United getting the equaliser. Offside, right? 1-1. It's offside. is up because of Marcus Rashford here. He's offside. He's a judge not to have interfered what? with play. So, therefore, the goal would be given. It's 1-1. You're telling me he's not participating in the play? You're telling me he's not addressing the ball? You're telling me that he's not impeding it? Is that what you're telling me, Dan? And it's not my decision. Okay. Uh, United then, though, would make it 2-1. Rashford definitely onside for this. Yes, he is. Ganacho gets a little fortunate. His first cross comes back to him, but it's good wing play. Puts it in right across the six-yard area, and Rashford's first on it. Penalty or not here? Not for me. Yeah. Casimiro gets the ball before Haaland gets the back of Casimiro. Uh, the officials would agree with you. Yeah. Nothing given, and Pep oh, Guardiola oh, left frustrated oh, oh. as Manchester that United City City by two goals to one. Take a look at that from City, just a one shot on target. Uh, take a look at what that means then in the Premier League. United now just one point off City. Uh, Arsenal with the chance to extend that lead to seven points uh, tomorrow as they take on Spurs. Uh, here are the back pages then of some of the newspapers. City stars in tunnel rage, not happy about the goal that was given. Uh, Varsity Blues, mm. uh, Pep stars tunnel rage. Uh, ref after Fernandez and Rashford snatch win. Uh, for more on this, let's welcome in Charlie Nader Manua and Craig Burley. Craig, let's get straight to it. Your reaction to the Bruno goal being given? Well, I believe it's correct by the letter of the law. Uh, he doesn't impact Akanji or uh, Walker's ability to play the ball. And therefore, you blame the lawmakers. Blame the lawmakers. But, yeah, I mean, I'm 50, I was 50-50 on it. But, I mean, I think, I think it's good. Uh, the referees that we've spoken to have agreed that by the letter of the law, this is a goal, Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> By the letter of the law. I mean, I, I, I heard the, the actual law, laws that were read out earlier. Yep. And they're not that clear. They're not black and white. It's not yes and no. And every single, every single professional footballer will understand that there is absolutely no way you can turn around and say that Rashford was not interfering with play. The biggest reason they brought this new rule in some time ago was so that some guy standing 20 yards wide in an offside position, it meant that the goal wasn't disallowed. 
Now they've tweaked they've tweaked around with the explanation of the of the rule. But the truth is, anybody who's involved in football understands that if you're not interfering with play, then you're not you're not involved. You can't say he's not interfering with play. Not only is he interfering with the goalkeeper, he actually interferes with Bruno Fernandes as well. <laughs> because Bruno Fernandes hangs back because he thinks that he's going to shoot. And then whether there's some communication or whether they understand it, that Rashford's offside, Bruno Fernandes then steps to the side and takes the shot. So he's, he's interfering with play. Surely that is the letter or the interpretation of the law. Is he interfering with play, yes or no? The fact is, and you, can, you cannot tell me he's not. Nate. So it shouldn't have been allowed. Nate him. It's not even difficult. <laughs> yeah, I understand the letter of the law and stuff, but I think it's misguided because it's clearly been created by people who haven't been involved in situations like that. I think as you look back at the clip, you can see Akanji, is, he's defending that according to Marcus Rashford having the ball close to his feet. Not to the fact that Fernandez is coming from behind. Because from Akanji's view, he was the only person he was looking at. And I think if, he, if, if Rashford would have stopped and then he saw Fernandez, maybe he would have run full speed to try and get it. But instead, he's like curtailing his run. Like he's, he's slowed down there at that point because he's thinking, well, Rashford's going to get it. So surely that's interfering with play. But unfortunately, the way the, the law is written and by the people who interpret it, they say because he's not touched, he's not interfering. But... Again, like every referee is saying the same thing, but again, it's just missing that point. And I think this is the sort of division that sometimes we have within football, whereby there are those who play it and those who sort of referee it and see the rules from that standpoint. Somebody on the field is always affecting it, especially when the ball is a foot away from them for the two seconds that it's happening and it's developing. So it's a shame that it ended up being that and being, you know, such a... Not necessarily a contentious decision, because as Craig said, you know, according to the letter of the law, he didn't touch it, so they deem him to not be interfering. But I think anybody on this panel who's played football would know, seeing somebody running forward with the ball at their feet is interfering with play, whether we like it or not. Uh, Craig, let's talk about the game overall. Too unfair? Well, they scored two goals, didn't they? They, so, did, they did score two goals, that's true. But we've seen occasions so, I mean, where maybe City have dominated, lots of chances, David De Gea standing on his head. We didn't see it in this situation, no. did we? Well, we saw City dominate in the second half. They just didn't create many chances. I mean, they're just not at their best. I mean, I'm surprised Phil Foden even managed out for the second half. Uh, didn't last uh, much longer. Uh, Haaland was quiet. De Bruyne created the goal, but... He's, he's off his game. There's so many things that are confusing at the moment for, for Manchester City and, and their manager. And one of the things is his constant tinkering as well now. It was more simplistic today than it was at Chelsea a week or so ago. But there's lots of their key players are not quite hitting the heights. I mean, they were better in the second half, but as you said, I think they had one shot on target and that, that, that was the goal. So... He's talked about body language in the last couple of weeks. I think he can sense a little bit of switching off. Maybe not switching off is the right terminology, but a little bit of standards dropping a little bit of one or two players. And he's going to have to sort that out. But yeah, look, United didn't dominate the game, obviously, but they created more chances, particularly with the balls over the top. So yeah, they're, and by the way, they're, they're in the title race. They're, they're, they're bang in it now and the form they're in. And we'll talk about more United in a moment. Nathan, what's up with C? Um, I don't know. I think 
maybe some of the stuff that Craig said is true there because some of the players aren't really at the best of form. I think De Bruyne, since he's come back from the World Cup, has been good for a couple of games, but quite a few others he hasn't. I think Phil Foden looks a shadow of himself at this moment in time. And St. Harland isn't necessarily, in the last couple of games that he's played, been that good either, but I think as well, Cancelo in midweek in the, in the Carabao Cup was particularly poor, but I think for City, it's so interesting because they're having what feels like a bad season, yet still they're in second place and it's still a point ahead of a team, which is the form team in the Premier League right now in Manchester United, and it's tough for them to lose a derby game, for them to feel like they're lacking creativity. But then for the way that they play and the way that they are, when some of those players do come into form, no one would be surprised if they went on a long run. Before you know it, they're back in with a chance of you know being back at the top of the Premier League. But something's just missing at this moment in time. I thought the game in midweek in the Carabao Cup was particularly alarming. Today I wasn't as alarmed because they were playing against a good side who had a lot of confidence. And, you know, it's probably, I can't remember the last time United probably were in such a spell where the players on the field fully believed in themselves and each other and probably felt they could get a result and they could control elements of the game with and without the ball. But I think for City, it's disappointing. But they're, they're still right there. I think the game tomorrow between Arsenal and Spurs is a big game. But City, they're going to be going approaching every game, trying to win it. And some of those players, maybe they're struggling since the World Cup, since the World Cup ended, rather. But they'll find something because they tend to do that. And when they do, you know, they're going to be a really tough side between now and the end of the season to play against. We know Nadeem in his City way is going to put a positive spin on yeah. it. But with all that attacking power that they have, and it's not just today, we've seen it over the last few matches, they're struggling to create anything. Yeah, and, and the guys mentioned Haaland. So I'm going to address Haaland for a second. Why is Erling Haaland, and I don't know whether this by design or not, but why is Erling Haaland dropping 30 yards from his own goal, receiving the ball from center back? How, how does that help anything? How does that help him? How does that help the team? The only people that that helps is the opposing center back. If you're Rafael Aran and Luke Shaw and you see Erling Haaland 40 yards from you, you're like, yeah, go ahead, stay over there. You're not a threat over there. I don't think that this team really maximizes the skill set of Erling Haaland to the point to where he makes runs to get him behind, and they just don't play him the ball. Every once in a while, you have to go and play a ball in behind that he can go and get in a physical matchup. If it is Erling Haaland against Luke Shaw, who's going to win that more times than not? It's going to be Haaland, and yet we never saw it. Manchester City will look at a ball to be played through, and they'll decide to go sideways back, five-yard passes here, five-yard passes there. At some point, you have to threaten with Erling Haaland and take advantage of what you have in front of you. He was very, very quiet, but he was never involved. It's not like he was quiet and, and that he was participating. He wasn't even participating. The game was going around him, and Erling Haaland, one of the most dominant strikers in the world, was never involved. You were critical of Pep for tinkering too mm. much. Didn't tinker today. No. Do you know, there's a couple of things. The, the, the whole thing with Haaland, sometimes, sometimes playing balls in behind that Haaland or anybody else is not going to get on the end of, in the long run, helps you. Mm. Because... As a centre-back, if balls are getting played in behind me, I start thinking it's coming all the time and I take a step back. Then the space opens up in the front. But they don't do that. So it makes it easier, easier to defend against them. It's just unfortunate that they seem to have a loss of form all around the front players. Mm. Except Haaland, I would suggest, because he's not getting the chances. The edge is missing. And that's where Pep and his staff and all the, and all the other 400 staff that they've got, all these scientists, have to figure out, are they training too much? Are they not resting enough? 
Are they do you know you have to go you go right back to scratch and you figure out what we're doing, what can we curtail? How do we get the strength back in our legs? Because it's that's all that's missing. The way they're playing, there's nothing wrong with the way they're playing. You know, 70% of the ball. Come on, you can't you can't argue with that. But that final third, you have to help yourself. And because of form and because of not using Haaland properly, it's it's hurting them. Craig, do you see City getting this edge back quickly? No, I don't. And it was last year or the year before they went on this crazy run of results. But I just don't see this City side at the moment doing that. Uh, they were sloppy at Chelsea a couple of weeks ago. They won the game, but the passing was sloppy. The passing was sloppy in the first half today in particular. Uh, prior to prior to the... Uh, sorry. Got a bad throat at the moment. Uh <laughs> Just back to you, boys. All right. <laughs> wow. Quiet, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Nadam, looking at it, though, from the red side of Manchester, obviously the argument is in the past when they went 1-0 down, their heads would drop, but things have changed this season. That test, um, test again. That Ten Hag has come in and galvanised the team, and they have a lot more belief now, which was shown in that final 15 minutes. Yeah, for sure. I think winning games will give you that level of belief, and they've been really, really good at home this season as well. You know, they haven't. They think they don't think they conceded since maybe September at home. So that would have been a shock, not a shock for them to concede. But you know, the crowd going there on this occasion, they weren't going there expecting City to just turn them over. They knew that in this moment they were the form side, and for City, they needed to find something to try and beat them. So they went a goal down, but they still knew that they had some of the better players on the field who could, have, who could create chances for for some players. And you had Marcus Rashford, who's arguably the form player in the whole league right now so why would you lose that sense of belief I think the manager on the sideline tried to remain positive the fans in there were positive because at times you know within football when you're not getting results it can get toxic from the outside but you can see it's a positive environment United fans they're in a good spot and as Craig was saying like it feels like they're part of this title chase now even though Arsenal can win tomorrow and still be <coughs> eight points clear or nine points clear or whatever it's going to be you know, they, they are beating anybody and everybody in front of them at this moment in time. So why would they not believe that they can do that going forward? Especially knowing that they're playing Arsenal in a couple of games time as well. So fair play to United. They're, uh, it feels like United are kind of back. And it's a big relief because, you know, at the start of the season, somehow I've put them in the top four. Now here we are, oh, then a few months later. That's, where that, that's United, where that was going. Oh, that was how it was going. Go. There we oh. go. Uh, Craig, can you talk now? I'm surprised you haven't just plugged in all on and gone home. <laughs> I, I, I was I was going to say before my uh, coughing fit that, that uh, what City were doing well before the World Cup was switching play, getting it wide, utilising the full-backs, getting De Bruyne away and whipping balls in the box. Lots of crosses, more crosses than normal, I think. And that was obviously beneficial for, for Ellen Haaland, but for some reason, Dan, they've, they've stopped doing that. Uh, what impressed you from United today, Stevie? The organisation. Mm. You, can't, you can't beat a team like City unless you're organised, particularly when you only have 30% of the ball. So... Absolutely, the organisation. You look at that back four on paper, and it's and I look and I did this yesterday. I looked at the back four on paper, and I look at what City have going forward, and I'm thinking, this looks a lit, not quite a mismatch, but I tell you what, I fancy City big time. Right. But they gave them nothing mm. defensively. The midfield, the the back four. I don't. I mean, I don't remember the here making a save. He didn't. So <laughs> the organisation and the defensive unit is is fantastic. And, and that's why they are. That's why they're where they are. 
the execution of a game plan as well and that they're absorbing pressure but when there is a recognition to go forward then let's find the hot hand who is the hot hand is Marcus Rashford who looked dangerous every time he touched the ball in transition he looked more dangerous than everybody from Manchester City combined mm -hmm. because he looked like here's a player who's going to test that space in behind. He's going to test defender. He's going to go in 1v1 situation, and he's got that speed, drop of the shoulder, see you later. Had it not been for Ederson, maybe it's a different score in the first half. So Marcus Rashford himself allows Ten Hag and allows this team to absorb that pressure, recognize the execution of the game plan, and say, we have an opportunity to catch this team on the counter and how vulnerable did Manchester City look on the counter? Very vulnerable. Uh, here's a conversation that we didn't think we'd be having with regards to Manchester United, but are they now title challengers? As it stands, Arsenal five points clear ahead of City. They win tomorrow, obviously. That goes to eight. But United currently sitting just one point behind Manchester City, who, according to the bookies, are still favourites to retain the title. Craig, United title contenders, are we there? Well, I think they're in the, in the race. I wouldn't say they're, they're the finished article, far from it, but, but they're in the hunt. I mean, City, we've talked about them, they haven't been at the best. And Arsenal, this is new territory for them. So, I mean, they, they haven't looked Arsenal that they're going to blow up, but obviously North London Derby tomorrow, big games coming up. So, yeah, Rashford on great form. Stevie mentioned the defending, so they're in the hunt for me. Yeah. Give, give me an old Don percentage. Um, oof. 20% maybe. Wow, that's quite high. Well, why not? The, the, they don't look as though anybody's going to beat them. No. As Craig said, they're far from the finished article. You right. know, they're not, they're not the United that's going to turn up anywhere and get after the opposition, as we saw in this game, at home, 30%. But you know the magic thing about football is? All you've got to do is win the game. It doesn't matter how you do it, as long as you do it. And right now, they're winning the games. Who are your favourites now? Arsenal. Mm. Uh-oh, turn oh. around. <laughs> A turn around. <laughs> A turnaround. Oh, no. Full-on turnaround. <laughs> Arsenal, I'm afraid. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh. You, want, you want to put a bet on it? Oh. <laughs> Not bad for a team that hasn't improved. So, uh, <laughs> His voice works for that. <laughs> I love you. You oh, get back to coffee, will you? Nathan, what was he's that? Only, by the way, he's <laughs> only happy Lissandro Martinez is not playing. Oh, yes, yeah, only, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's always a positive, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, Nathan, what did you make of Pep's uh, comments afterwards saying we're not going to win the league? Yeah, come on. If you if you believe that, you'll believe anything. I think for him to be saying after 18 games, he clearly doesn't doesn't mean that. I think he's just trying to wind people up, basically. Obviously, they're, they're quite significantly far behind Arsenal now, especially if Arsenal win tomorrow. But he understands the way football works. The side could, in a few weeks' time, go on a good run and be right there in the mix again. And maybe he'll put his tongue in his cheek again and say, oh, you know, we're probably not going to win the league, but they might be, say, two, three points behind them. He, say, he says those things. Some people like him, some people don't. I don't think that's ever really going to change. And he says what he said was right about the Carabao Cup, obviously, because they're out. <laughs> but for the Premier League, to say it's done now, he's just, he's just playing mind games with whoever wants to take offence to it, I think. So Manchester United coming from behind. A big story, of course, in the Premier League on Saturday. Another big uh -oh. story oh was my Brighton uh -oh. beating Liverpool 3 And this could have been a lot more than 3-0, by the way. 38%, is that right? Uh, Brighton were exceptional. Liverpool were turgid, Stevie.
I, honestly, I, I'm looking at that. I can't remember the 39% of possession that Liverpool had. Because in my well, brain, all, all I can see is, all I can see is the ball getting passed around, McAllister with a, a cigar in his mouth, the crowd all in halfway through the second half. I mean, you talk about, Liverpool got, dis this team destroyed Liverpool. Yeah. From the first whistle to the last, there wasn't any part of this game or any period where Liverpool had any sort of dominance or possession. I mean, it was just scary to watch. Hey, where was the throwing coach for this one? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you talk about you talk about just standing watching and then reacting. You know, particularly defensively, it's about reading situations. But no, no, they're just reacting to everything, and it's too late when you do that. But my goodness, overall, arguably. Arguably the worst game under Jurgen Klopp, I think. He, he said it's the worst game not only at Liverpool, but in his career uh, oh. that, he, that he's seen from oh. his side. Uh, oh. they, they were really that bad, weren't they, today, Craig? Oh, they were terrible. I mean, they got taken apart, as Stevie said. I mean, actually, Brighton might have an upgrade on Potter. Not that, I mean, Potter's not the flavour of the month at the moment, but deservedly, the football they're playing is a continuation and an improvement from Potter with, with, with some better finishing up front, a more cut, more cutting edge. Caicedo and McAllister in the middle of the park. I mean, Brighton were tremendous, but but Liverpool, I, and I never thought they would lose their mojo as much as this. It's been abysmal. You know, going into halftime, right? The, yeah. The storyline for Liverpool would have been, hey, look, at least it's 0-0. Zero, zero. Right? We got our play. But we're going to go into halftime. It's 0-0. Zero, zero. Here we go. We're going to gather ourselves. We're going to regroup. And there's going to be a better version of Liverpool in the second half. And they were worse. And that part to me is the thing that is, is, is so difficult and hard to believe. Because it's hard to reconcile what we have seen from Liverpool in the past, in the recent past, and what we're seeing now. And how steep the drop-off had. When you look at this team and how disorganized they are, how all over the place, there's no team defending. There's no pressure on the ball. There's no 1v1 defending. They made Alexis McAllister, who has been an excellent player, and we saw that display in the World Cup, they made him look like he was the best central midfielder in the history of mankind. <laughs> He's knocking the ball around like Liverpool wasn't even there, but you can, you can say that about many players in Brighton. That was an embarrassing performance from Liverpool perspective. I didn't know we had player ratings from you, Stevie. I'm excited to see these. Oh, Pete, Pete was uh, on me after, two seconds after the game uh, finished. This is then your marks out of 10. <laughs> can I have to get an eight? He was the only player on the team that didn't that didn't embarrass himself. I, I, without him, it would have been six or seven. Canati. Um, I'm gonna. I'm drawn to Thiago one. <laughs> what? Well, <laughs> he got on the bus from the hotel he to showed the stadium. Up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, you, this game showed all the things that that unfortunate for him that he can't do, and he can't defend and. He was absolutely invisible. Fabinho and Henderson, the efforts there, but again, they were pretty much invisible. I mean, everybody. The engine room was just invisible. Let's be honest. Yeah. And of course, the front three can't really do much. They they fall back in to try and help, but without the ball, they can't do much. And Salah's not going to do anything without the ball. Gakpo's playing out of position, and the ox is filling in. So now. 
Now you're relying on the back four. My goodness. So, so the problem is not Darwin Nunez then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, even 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 Allison, uh, yeah. even Allison isn't making a save now. Right. You know, and you can't believe he he can't take any blame for any of this, but he's not making a save either. That, that might help. That just Evans Evans going wrong. It's a, it's a real it really is a shambles, and and honestly, it has to change the way they play. The way they want to play, the way they have played, when you're physically and mentally in, a, in, in, that, in that place, you can do that. High pressure, 100 miles an hour, putting people under pressure, scoring goals, creating chances, not letting teams out. But when you're not mentally there and you're not physically there, you can't do it. And you're far too open. And you don't have players that can defend properly. So you can't play that way. You have to, you have to get a base... Get back to not giving anything away and then build from there. You can't just turn up every week now and just be open and hope that all of a sudden you're going to start playing the way you did nine months ago. Can, can you see them making that change, Craig, to make a, a kind of instant turnaround to their form? No, I can't. It's been going on now since the start of the season. thought the World Cup break might have helped, but it, but it hasn't. Uh, so no, I can't, Dan. Every facet of the team, and we talked about Thiago the other week. When in a team that's not dominating and not playing well, he's just a luxury. So I, I can't see them turning this around quickly. I can't. Who's never played the game now, eh, Nadem? In all seriousness, the, when I went to that game, the, uh, the game against Wolverhampton in the cup. I saw the names on the team sheet and I believed there was going to be a really good performance. But as I watched, it just wasn't there. And I think it's the case, as, um, as the guys have been saying, especially Stevie, like, what if the mental side of thing, side of football isn't there, the performance is up. And when you look at them, there's an element of doubt in the way that they play. All of a sudden, the things they've done before, they don't see it in the same manner. They don't see the same passes. They're not making the same runs. They don't have the same confidence in the people around them. And before you know it, a team that looks as good as it can do on paper, paper all of a sudden has nothing, doesn't have the same impact. And the other sides, they come up and play against you. Like this Brighton side, they've got all the confidence in the world. They believe in themselves, believe in each other believe in the strategy, they believe they can win the game at home. So now you take it to Liverpool, and I'm just astonished, as, as Stevie was saying, like, when you look at those stats, Liverpool didn't have as much possession, they didn't have as many shots, they didn't have as many shots on target, like, they were losing challenges, they were losing duels, battles everywhere. Like, that's not the Liverpool that we know, yet still a lot of the faces on the field are very familiar. So it just goes to show that sort of, you can be physically there, but if you're not fully mentally there in terms of your confidence, the game of football can be very, very tough. And as the guys have said, I think this was probably Liverpool's worst day under Jürgen Klopp. Are they sending you to Monday for the it, replay, Naden? <laughs> they are, actually, yeah. You've got to go in sad. your full kit. <laughs> yes. Shingo's and all. One. I think that's a good shout. <laughs> it is their Wolves against Liverpool live on ESPN Plus. A number of FA Cup replays that you can see exclusively here. Uh, meanwhile, Sunday, Chelsea take on Palace, it's Newcastle, Fulham and Spurs take on Arsenal. Um, I want to start things off by talking about uh, Chelsea, uh, not necessarily a clash against Palace, but what we've seen develop over the last few hours, because we thought Mudrik would be heading to Arsenal, Jules. Welcome, hello, Jules. Uh, however, <laughs> it looks like Chelsea have come in and hijacked that deal. That's right, Dan. The deal was completed today uh, in Turkey, where Shakhtar are in the sort of winter break, if you want, training. 
uh, Ekbali and Win Stanley travel there, uh, the, so the, the Chelsea owner and the Chelsea sporting director, and in a few hours only wrapped up that deal. They basically gave Shakhtar all they wanted, which was 70 million uh, pounds in transfer fee, plus a potential 30 million of, of add-ons that are I think quite easily reachable to be fair so it would be a hundred million if everything is, is is put together and for Mudrik it would be a seven and a half year deal uh, like the one that we saw Chelsea giving Badia Shield with a with a big big pay rise compared to what he's earning right now Shakhtar and even bigger than obviously what Arsenal were, were ready to offer him so it's a deal that trumped what Arsenal were offering it's a deal that basically Chelsea gave everything to the penny of what Shakhtar wanted and that's how they, they made that deal happen Seven and a half years, Craig. These deals just... Jules mentioned it uh, a few days ago. These, these, these deals just seem crazy. Uh, this money just seems crazy. Uh, I, the belief was the player wanted to go to Arsenal, but obviously that's changed. Whether it was the money or, or not, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, this just seems like throwing a squad together, doesn't it? Like... See what sticks. It's almost like Forest 2.0. Like, obviously, we yeah. talked about Nottingham Forest making all, all these signings, and Chelsea right. have kind of taken that and gone, "Well, we're going to." It's, gonna, it's we're, a more expensive version. It, re- it really is a hundred million. Mm. I mean, again, it's such He's a double-edged right sword. It's such a double-edged sword because the kid's a good player, and he looks as though he could be a great player, but he's only 21. And it's a lot of money, and obviously he's going to play, but he's coming into a team mm-hmm. that that, yep. that is all over the shop, which is the last thing you need as a 21-year-old and an up-and-coming talent. You want you want to be going into a side that's settled and doing well. This guy's going to land. He's going to stick his boots on. They're going to get beat, and it's going to be his fault. It, I mean, it's just a complete and utter gamble, isn't it? Uh, Jules, I don't mean to go or gab on us, but is there a financial fair players account? Is that even <laughs> <What>? a thing? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, at some point, at some point he will. Um, Chelsea, once that deal goes through, and we expect it to be tomorrow, he will be in London. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the deal. He's got his medical plan for tomorrow. It could even be announced before the, before the game against Palace. It could well be at the at the ground as well. Um, and when when that will that will be closed, their spending will already already be 153 million pounds just for this January transfer window. Which is, if you count the other 19 clubs in the Premier League, they spend 100 million, roughly 100 million pounds. So Chelsea on their own <laughs> have already spent in two weeks more than the rest of the whole Premier League, like they did in the summer, of course, where they spent over 250 million as well. So it starts to be a lot. So they will have to sell at some point to balance the books at least. To, if for the length of the contract, Craig is right. It's, it's, it's obviously a very long contract and you commit a lot of money because if you pay a player like, like Mudrik 12 million net a year over seven and a half years, that's a lot of money. However, you also the amortization of your transfer fee is also spread over those seven years. So you pay Shakhtar you know, over the seven years. So it's another way, I guess, of, of spreading a bit the cost. Still, it's still a, a, a huge, maybe even obscene amount of money. How's Potter, you think, about this, Craig? No idea, mate. Yeah. No yeah. idea. Yeah. I, I, I mean, he's like a rabbit in the headlights at the moment, isn't he? You know, he's got players out injured, he's got players coming in, he's got crazy transfers, he's got 
people calling for his head, can't get a result, expected to beat Palace tomorrow. Will that happen? I don't know. I've no idea, mate. No, I bet he's wishing he never took the job now. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. He is, he is uh, Nadem, looking more and more like Mark Ogden every day, which <laughs> That's is not, not, a good thing. not a good thing at all. Is there any way this can work out, do you think, between now and the end of the season? With him as manager, do you mean? Just as this whole policy as a whole. To be honest, I don't know what this policy is. They're clearly just bringing in tons of players, but they're trying to compete and they believe this is the way to do it. But what I really worry about is when everybody's all of a sudden available. You know, if that, if that injury room is all of a sudden empty and you've got 25 to 30 players, of which maybe 20 to 23, 24 are senior players, like who do you pick? What is the settled side? How do you keep people happy? How do you keep someone happy that's on a seven and a half year deal that thought they might be playing because you promised that to them, say, maybe two months earlier? I think it's a really testing situation for him. I think for as good as he is as a coach and potentially as a manager, you know, this is, this is the ultimate test to be at a club with such great expectations but then have the issues that they have. But I think he'll probably learn from this, try and find a way. And for them, they just need to win. They just need to win tomorrow, buy some time. Then once you start winning, find some like performances which people can really believe in as well. And then bring back some of those players who are injured. And yeah, I think best thing is just trying to get this transfer window closed so they can just focus in on what he has and not worry too much about who could potentially just turn up at the training ground in Cobham and say, hello, I've signed and I'm here for the next eight years. But I think he's a good coach. I think he'll do fine. But wow, what a test this is for him. Chelsea Palace in the first game on Sunday. Of course, very much the main event is in North London as Spurs take on Arsenal. Take a look at the predictions. Uh, everyone is going for an Arsenal victory with the exception of Jules and Ali who are going for a draw. We talked a lot, haven't we, about Arteta's antics on the sideline, his interaction with officials. Conte addressed that ahead of this game. In an important game like this, uh, and the respect is always uh, at the top. Okay, um, we have to to show respect uh, uh, in every in every situation, uh, and uh, especially also with uh, with uh, with the referee, with the referee, because uh, I know very well the difficulty to be referee to take a decision. I think to intimidate or to create a, a bad atmosphere is not fair. I don't like this, and I hate. I hate the, uh, the people that try to do, to, to, to do it. He hasn't mentioned a taser yet, Craig. Well, he's never intimidated a referee. <laughs> I've talked about them, has he? No, never. I mean, seriously. I mean, Arteta's antics are over the top. I, I think most of us agree on that. But Antonio Conte, my God. He's trying to make himself out as if he's perfect on the touchline. He's had a few run-ins himself. So... It's about his team playing better. I mean, they did get a good win against Palace actually a week or so ago, but this is a this is a different test, and I just feel Arsenal are going to be the the usual positive front foot self, and and we know what Tottenham have been like, particularly the, the slow starting. So maybe he's just trying. To, maybe he's already trying to just deflect a little bit from from possibly what might happen and talking about the respect and and, and the touchlines. But come on. He's he's been guilty of that himself at times. Jules, who'd have thought? Antonio Conte, the saint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Antonio Conte, just like hey, I can 
give you a few lessons on how to behave on the touchline, you know, because I'm, I'm just, this is not what I do. I mean, the most recent was obviously his big spot with Thomas Tuchel last season, which we all remember the famous handshake that just exploded. So, yeah, I think he's, he knows. But maybe it's just a bit of mind games, you know, before the game. He knew exactly that we would all talk about that line and that sentence in particular. <laughs> And, and just putting a bit of pressure out there on the referees as well, on Arteta, and, and to make that, that crowd even more hostile. It's going to be very hostile tomorrow, of course, for Arsenal and for Arteta. Arteta is annoying, though, isn't he, Nadem? <laughs> Sorry, could you rephrase the question? Uh, Try that again, please. It's quite frustrating to see some of his antics on the touchline. You feel that it's unnecessary. He's very passionate. Yes, Dan, he's very, very passionate on the touchline. Very passionate. Sometimes a bit too passionate. But, yeah, it's... Uh, he, was, he goes very big with it, especially in that Newcastle game, because I think the game wasn't as bad or as dramatic as, say, he and others were making it seem from the touchline, in my opinion. Obviously, it's because I wasn't necessarily rooting for Arsenal nor, nor Newcastle, but, yeah, he is very, very, um, he's very active on the sides. It, good luck to him trying to do it away from home tomorrow in the North London derby. But, you know, this is who he is, and for him, it's made him successful to this point, and the team's currently top of the league, and, you know, they are kind of the favorite, one of the favourites to win the whole thing. Clearly it's working. Let's see if he'll do it away from home. And let's see if he's doing it when his team is maybe not doing so well in the game. Because then, you know, you go from being somebody who's just trying to drive the team to somebody who's maybe is upsetting things just that little bit more. You've gone for a draw, Ali. Yes, I have. And I just think these are moments in which Arsenal must take a step forward if indeed they're going to go on to win this thing, right? And yet, somehow... I sense that this is a match in which we're going to see the best of Spurs, which we seemingly we only have for second halves. Mm -hmm. We're going to see a team, I think, that from the very beginning is going to have the attention of the match because it deserves so. And we're going to see a better version, more consistent version through the midfield of Spurs and not just a team that just kind of absorbs pressure and tries to go on a counter with Hilming Song and hopefully Harry Kane does something magical. I think this is going to be a more complete performance. As it regards to Antonio Conte, let me just say, it, this is essentially a shout-out and a call-out to the referees. And ma making sure that, in case you didn't know, in case you hadn't heard, this guy is going to be complaining. Do not be influenced by it. <laughs> All right? I'm going to be complaining myself. So if you're going to be influenced by somebody, be influenced by me. Regardless, I just think this Spurs team is going to be better. And, and I don't say this lightly because I don't often pick Spurs. And it's, this is my version of picking Spurs. A draw. This is my version of picking Spurs. 1-1 one, one draw. <laughs> Arsenal to win it, Craig. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what my graphic says, isn't it? I know. This is where you, you give me a little bit more information as to why you think Arsenal will win it. Well, you, I, was you not listening when I started it off? I said I think they'll be on the front foot and positive. The front three are playing well. Odegaard's playing great. So I, I just think the positivity around Arsenal, yeah, there's going to be a lot of pressure. And, you know, as every game goes on and we get deeper into the season, more questions will be asked. But I just think this Arsenal time, uh, team are slicker. 
uh, and they're a better unit, and, and that's why I've gone for the Arsenal win. Yeah, you said that already. Why did you repeat yourself? Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, let's just take a look again, at the, uh, the results that we saw uh, today. Wolves with a big win against uh, West Ham. Lopetegui making an impact at Molyneux. Meanwhile, what a turnaround for Forrest since the World Cup. Beating Leicester by two goals to nil. Elsewhere, Brentford continued their fine, fine run with a 2-0 victory over Bournemouth. At Goodison, Everton oh. losing oh. at home against Sam. Hampton. Uh, that leaves them now sitting 19th level on points, in fact, with Saints at the bottom of the table and West Ham. Uh, unfortunately, Jules, uh, the big story from this game wasn't the result, but the viable security threats that we saw towards the Everton board, so bad were they, in fact, they couldn't attend the game. Yeah, they didn't come. Uh, it was They were advised not to come at all for security reasons, as you say, Dan. Uh, the, the player coach <coughs> arrived and the police escort and security escort. It looked, I mean, even if you're a player and arriving in those conditions can't be great when you're preparing and, and getting ready for such a, such a key game as well in your season. The atmosphere was toxic all along. We've learned tonight that with the Sony reports here in England that the, the Everton CEO was... Uh, hold in a dead in a, in a headlock headlocks that we said by mm. a, a fan a couple of weeks ago or something so clearly that the seal threatened and 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 like like you know like uh, assaulted almost uh, by a fan so so clearly clearly things are are unraveling really really badly now everton we saw banners today of course sack the board etc farid moshiri the the owner of this club will have to, something has to be done now, you know, I mean, I don't know what, where you start, do you sack the manager, do you, do you meet with the, the fans, do you, do you, I mean, something has to be done, they've already spoken with fans, they had some meetings, but this time it's gone too far, so, and that defeat after taking the lead, by the way, they were 1-0 up uh, at half time, uh, and then I think losing the way they did against, uh, against Southampton just made things even worse. Disgusting scenes off the pitch, obviously Craig, Craig on it, they are struggling, and as, as Jules said, kind of one option would be to sack Frank Lampard. Yeah, I'm not be suggesting Lampard's the best manager in the Premier League or even <laughs> close to it, but, but the, the problems are sort of systemic and they go a lot deeper to recruitment, to ownership, to the playing staff. It's just it's just one big mess, Dan, and it, it, there's no easy fix. There is no easy fix, and they could go this year. They could get relegated this year for sure. We'll say thank you very much to Nadam and Craig. Just a reminder, extra time, as always, available on our YouTube channel. How was your uh, throat, Dan? Yeah, it's going well. It's going, no, Craig, professional, it's, it's, it's Craig somehow getting it to me. Professional. Uh, <laughs> um, be sure to check that out. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. 
Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They are the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. Meanwhile, on Serie A today, Napoli remain clear no. at the top of the table. An impressive victory over Juventus. Milan could only manage a 2-2 draw. For more on this, uh, let's welcome in uh, Jules, who's still with us. Uh, Jules, the game of two halves for Milan. Very much so Tybor start of the game with the, the, the Theo on goal and then Lecce really playing well in that first half. Milan just not, not turning up at all. In the second half they did better. I mean they couldn't have been worse than in the first half anyway. And then coming back, but the draw really 2-2, which is which is not a good it's not a good result anyway. Away at Lecce. But at least you take that. There was just nothing more they could have hoped, and they were maybe lucky even not to lose the game considering the terrible first half that they had. In the end, it's enough for second place, but it's not enough because now Napoli are nine points clear. And, and seeing how Napoli are playing, and we saw that on Friday night, when you're Milan now and you're, you're struggling and, and you're dropping points there and there, it's just, it's just not ideal. And at those nine points look more than nine, to be fair, considering the gap between the two teams. Uh, let's just take a look at the newspapers this morning after that victory for Napoli. Napoli, uh, uh, perfect 10, of course, that was their lead before that draw for Milan. Uh, they were absolutely brilliant, weren't they, Jules, yesterday? They were amazing, really, considering it was first against second, considering they were playing a Juventus team that had just won eight league games in a row without considering a single goal in those eight games. And Fair enough, they didn't play a team like Napoli in any of those eight games, but still, to, to be on that run of result, to go to Napoli and to be demolished, to be blown away the way they, they have by this incredible Napoli team that played with so much movement, so much fun, it's so hard to play against. And, and Juve came back just before the break to make it 2-1 and we thought, or maybe, maybe some thought, maybe there's a game here, but there was no game there. And the second half was exactly the same as the first half. And to be fair, and Napoli stopped playing 20 minutes before the end. It could have been more than 5-1, which is, by the way, the, uh, the biggest loss ever in Juventus history in the league. And the, they lost 5-1 to Pescara, I think, in 1993 or something like that. So this never happens to Juventus. And for that Napoli team to do that, even at home, against a Juve team like that just shows, just shows the talent and the form that they have. It's just a, an unstoppable team. They've only lost one game against Inter ten, two, days, two weeks ago, sorry. But apart from that, they, they're just unplayable at times. And, and they've been waiting since 1990 for the Scudetto. And surely this has to be their year. I mean, I cannot see how they can blow that lead. I can't see who else in that league can compete with them, really. And also, the second half of the season, they will play at home against all the other big boys. The two Milan clubs, the two Rom Roman clubs. So I, it's theirs to lose now, that title. It's, they're so good and in such a strong position. Uh, a lot more on this. Uh, you're out of the big chair, yeah, Jules. Gab is back. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the holidays are over now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like when the teacher comes back. Uh, when you've had the supply for a while, then it is the Gab and Jules podcast, as always, available to listen to over on the website. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't a search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC, terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. A fabled El Clasico. Barcelona against Real Madrid. The adrenaline running through your veins when you walk down those steps. It's a special, special occasion. It's the biggest game in the world. El Clásico is where every player at the highest level wants to be. The most watched game of football ever. Todos presentados. Arranque el partido que para el mundo. They don't like each other. And it usually shows. It's a rivalry that transcends sports. Ah, well. No es una falta normal. Ay, momento que tenía que llegar ahora esto. Wait, it's Real Madrid against Barcelona live tomorrow on ABC. Coverage starts at 1.30 Eastern. Uh, for more on this game, let's go to rehab. And of course, Alexis Nunes has been there all week. Hey guys, well it's a very windy and gloomy day here in Riyadh, but make no mistake because the King Fad International Stadium behind me tomorrow is going to be lit in so many different ways when it's the final of the Supercopa de España because it's the match we were all hoping for. El Clásico Real Madrid up against Barcelona once again, but this time there's silverware on the line. The stakes are so high. Carlo Ancelotti could add yet another piece of silverware to his list. We know that Real Madrid won this title last year but Xavi, that's the story. He could win his first piece of silverware as manager of his beloved Barcelona as well. Today we got to go and speak to both those managers, Carlo Ancelotti of Real Madrid and Xavi of Barcelona to just get an idea of how the teams are and how the managers are ahead of such a big final. In this moment we are not at the top, we are not at the best because after the World Cup with a lot of players involved it's difficult to find the best condition. But game by game, I think we have uh, we try to improve. We are going to improve. We have a spectacular game against Barcelona. 
in all the aspects, you know, in defense, in attack. Now we are a, a very good family in, inside the room. This is very, very important. No? So re we are really motivated to, to play, to win, and uh, to win this title. So uh, we improve a lot. We improve a lot as a, as a team in the high pressure, in the defensive line, uh, in attack, in defense. So I'm, I'm very proud. Well, with the rain coming down here in Riyadh, we know that it's time to head out. But trust me, nobody is going to want to miss this version of El Clasico. Like I said, so much on the line here at Real Madrid with a lot of questions to answer after some fireless performances, so to speak, as Thibaut Courtois told me after the semi-final. And Xavi, as we said, in search of his first piece of silverware as manager of Barcelona, he just said in his press conference that he would give anything to trade places with the players because this is a final and this is what they live for so we will see exactly who gets to lift that trophy here tomorrow uh, let's take a look then at the uh, newspaper super final mm -hmm. uh, this is the front page of sport uh, Costa de Cuatro Benzema against Lewandowski Testegan against Courtois just a couple of the battles that we're gonna see tomorrow Ali so many different storylines mm. going into this game but the big one as these two always face off it's El Clasico absolutely and I guess it's, it doesn't matter how these teams are playing coming into this match. This is what we say all the time, that El Clasico is going to bring the best out of these teams. But the truth is, is that both of these teams, what they have proven on their way to the final is that they are vulnerabilities, that they are frailties from both teams. Barcelona is unable to sustain a level of play over the course of 90 minutes. And as for Real Madrid, they haven't been able to say, sustain any level of play since the World Cup. They had difficulties against Villarreal last week. They had difficulties again in the semifinal against Valencia. They just haven't been playing very well. And it doesn't matter who you put in. There's been rotation. It doesn't matter. They just haven't played well. As for Barcelona, they've had good moments, more good moments than Real Madrid have, but they're unable to see that out. If Barcelona plays at the same level that they've been able to play for 20 minutes at a time, if they're able to put 60, 70 minutes together, then I think Barcelona should be the favorites coming into this game. Because quite frankly, even going as far back as before the World Cup, Real Madrid has been struggling. Uh, let's take a look, shall we, at the predictions for this game from everyone. Uh, me and Sid are going for Real Madrid to win on penalties. Mm. Uh, Craig and Stevie going for Real Madrid to win in normal time. Uh, Luis is going for Barcelona. Uh, Ali going for Barcelona as well to win. Well, oh, Sid Lowe is here, who of course literally wrote the book on El Clasico and the rivalry between <laughs> Real Madrid and uh, Barcelona. This one maybe won't fill another chapter, Sid, but it's always intriguing when these two teams face off. Yeah, it is. And, and it, we're not in that era that we were in, what was it, six or seven years ago when it seemed like they were playing every every two or three weeks. And at that point, it did get a little bit like, well, just another Clasico. It doesn't feel like that now. This does feel special. And it does feel like it helps to define a little bit what we expect from these two teams for the rest of the season. As Ali was talking about there, that, that Real Madrid haven't always impressed, but you've kind of felt like there's something there. Barcelona at times have, have impressed, at times haven't, have got really good results. But we're not quite sure, are we, exactly what Barcelona we're going to see. And I I think for them at least, this is this is a game that will, that will help to explain that to us or help to give us a, a better idea of what they're going to be like for the rest of the season. Uh, Sid, of course, uh, was our coverage of Real Sociedad beating Athletic Club by three goals to one. Uh, after the game, he caught up with goal scorer Alexander Soloff. So many good things happened tonight. Let's start with the one bad thing. 
I'm trusting that the injury isn't too serious after after a week in which you'd, you'd had a few few issues with it. Is is it fundamentally okay? It's okay. I tried to be a little bit smart today uh, because yeah, didn't train too much during the week and barely got ready for this game. We have another game on Tuesday, so yeah, I thought it was was a good timing to to take it easy. And of, we also have Mikel Oyarzabal on the bench, so. He's, he's fresh and ready, so I, th I think it was a smart decision. When you went off, the reception from the fans was was absolutely fantastic. You scored a, a brilliant goal. In the goal, you don't seem to get very nervous. You're in the penalty area, you've got two players on your back. There's a calmness about you that, that that's really striking. It's typical when you are in good form and when you have confidence. And uh, yeah, I mean, in a, in a situation now where my confidence is really high, uh, don't stress too much, and you just you're not scared to get the chances. You're just looking forward to them every time. Um, so I'm in a good moment, and uh, yeah, I think it shows on the pitch as well. It must be a great game to attend, Sid, because the atmosphere from start to finish was pretty much electric, wasn't it? Yeah, it was brilliant fun. Really was a lot of fun. We, we talk often after the games, that, and in particular when, when, as I was tonight, when you're, when you're very low down, sometimes you don't get a great view of the game itself, but you get that extra sense of occasion. And in a ground like this, which tonight, by the way, um, had its highest ever attendance since this stadium was redeveloped, um, it, was, it was just brilliant from start to finish. I mean, you're looking at this and you, you kind of look at it, obviously look not from an athletic club point of view, but from a Real Sociedad point of view, and you think, well, which was your favourite moment? Because there were so many good things that happened. You've got the David Silva challenge in the past. You've got the Takekubo goal, which is brilliant. You've got Sorloff's goal. You've got the fact that Mikel Oyazabal, who's had such terrible injury problems, comes back and scores, and, and the emotion of the celebration of that. You've got the, the noise in the ground as well. And this is a, this is a, a team that's playing really, really well at the moment. And, and talking to Martin Einstein after the game, um, Takekubo was saying that no, right now we feel like no one can stop us and and you watch them and, and and that's true even in those first 20 minutes or so in Athletic we're putting pressure on them you always felt like Real Sociedad would find a way out of it and, and they did Great stuff Sid thank you very much Real Sociedad of course in action in the Copa del Rey at midweek as our Athletic Club it starts on Tuesday in San Sebastian as La Real take on Mallorca that's 1pm Eastern and on Wednesday Athletic Club take on Espanyol then the big boys are back on Thursday Huerta against Barcelona at 2pm Villarreal against Real Madrid Madrid at three. All of those matches live on ESPN+. Plus. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news! Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Obviously, the drama at the World Cup, drama unfolded post-World Cup. Um, very unfortunate drama involving the Reynas, Greg Berhalter, and his family. One of the questions we asked ourselves on Football America, you asked me literally yesterday on Football America, was if the players would view Gio 
Reyna differently? If his time on the national team would maybe come with an asterisk, you're part of that World Cup experience. What's your take on that? No, absolutely not. I mean, I think Gio as a person has a lot of growing to do, and, you know, we all make mistakes. Um, you know, I, I've made mistakes, and, you know, I've, I've yelled at, at some of my coaches and, and players, and, you know, things, things like that happen. Uh, things of that nature happen, and, of course, Gio's a competitor. He wants to be playing in games, so, you know, it's a learning curve for him. And so for us, acknowledging that he, you know, came out and apologized to our group and, you know, and, and we move past it. I think, you know, we're, we're all good. You know, we're, we're, we're humans, we're players, and we, we love him to death. You can hear more from Roldan and plenty of other MLS players at Seven Herc, uh, gate-crashed MLS Media Day. Uh, you can check out the latest edition of Football Americas. Uh, that is it. That brings Indeed. us to the end of today's show. Thank you very much to everyone who has been on. Be sure to stay tuned, though. And Nadem returns. Ali and Stevie here as well to answer your questions for extra time. Welcome into the latest edition of Extra Time. Thank you for your questions. Ali, Stevie, bopping away here in the, uh, in the studio. Uh, Nadem Anua joins us as well. Uh, Nadem, what's the furore been like after your Jurgen Klopp interview went viral? Oh my god, god, Dan, this is all your fault. I just like to just remain as anonymous as possible, as is the case of interviews, but yet still, people come up to me, oh, did you play football? Did you play football? Did you play football? Like, well, yes! Kinda. But yeah, cheers for that, Dan. Thank you. Oh, I'm very pleased about that. That's brilliant. Uh, do you think a team like City can just get tired of winning over the long term? Last two games, you don't see a lot of motivation. How do players manage to stay hungry and sustain success? Was a winner of the league five times, Stevie. This oh. is a very apt question for yourself. <sighs> How do you answer this? You don't get tired of winning. Absolutely right. not. The winners, what? Do you have less of an? Do you know? It, sometimes, sometimes it's losing that makes you want to win. Because, because when you win all the time, it becomes normal. Right. And so when you lose. It feels like everything's collapsed. Mm. I mean, I think a lot of it, a lot of it, is down to the mentality of the players that they keep each other going. You've also got to have the manager and the coaching staff that every day that they're on you, right? And, and you can't have days off, and they make sure that you do the stuff you have to do in order to. to to stay at that level, but just unfortunately, we're actually human, and sometimes there are no obvious reasons for not being at your best or not being at your sharpest, um, not not just being mentally as sharp as you normally would. Right, it happens to everybody. Sometimes it happens to everybody at the one time, and that seems to be what's going on at City. I, I'm, I'm with you, Stevie. Right, and what you're saying. <coughs> But it, it would make a whole lot more sense given the fact that they already lost in the midweek. And you're playing against Manchester United on the weekend, so you would have thought that, all right, you got your losing out of the way, and now we're going to see a much better performance. And while it was better, it wasn't brilliant. It wasn't Manchester City. It wasn't even close to their best. That's the part that is surprising to me. 
But the tough thing is as well, is people expect you to be at your best every single time. Well, because you're... You know, the truth is, City didn't deserve to lose this game. Right. No question. But they did. And everybody's pointing the finger at them. You can't always be brilliant. But they haven't been brilliant for a while. I think that's mm. the concern, isn't it, from a City Yeah, defense. but again, it's because we hold them to a certain standard. That's, well, that's, that's why we should. They're defending champions. But, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. Right. I'm just saying no, that, that makes it even harder. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not making excuses at all. It makes it even harder to be at your best all the time. Stevie, how many Liverpool players get into the Brighton team? <laughs> this was obviously on the back of yesterday where Don said that only one or two Brighton players would get into the Liverpool side and he wouldn't have McAllister, for example. What? I've got to tell you, I was sitting watching the game, right, and, and at 2-0, I'm like, the game's done. Yes. And I'm going, I hope McAllister scores. <laughs> <laughs> I was desperate for McAllister. Don got a lot of abuse on Twitter, <laughs> yeah. which is always fun. Um, who scores more goals this season in the Premier League, Nadem? Wout Weghorst or Jao Felix? Mm. <clears throat> oh my goodness gracious me, how's this come to be? Um, well, you can think tick. United will score more goals than Chelsea will to now the end of the season, so I'm going to go for, unfortunately, Valt Weghorst, as wild as that may be, because I think Felix will contribute and maybe be a bigger part of it, but I can see Weghorst maybe scoring 5-10, to 10, whereas I can't necessarily see that from uh, Felix this season, if unless he gets extended for next year anyway. I'm going to say Joao Felix simply because I think he's going to be out on the field more often than well, Vekor is. Well, yes, assuming that he doesn't get thrown out <laughs> yeah. every game. But I, I think he's going to be out there. Whereas Vekhorst is going to be a spot starter here and there and a last 10 minutes sort of player. Yeah, Felix. I'm yeah. going for Joao Felix. Fans? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what's been the highlight of the week? Brighton beating Liverpool? Manchester United beating Manchester City? Or... Nadem's performance during the cup semi-final oh, for the Carabao Cup. What a moment. Nadem. Nadem for us all. Yeah. Only the semi-finals, though. Oh, what do you mean? What? Oh, do you mean with the draw? Yes. It does, well, it's no big deal. The fate of English football in my hands, no big deal. <laughs> and then I did the draw, which everyone said is rigged. But yeah, it's fine, yeah. You nah, just, fine. Were you drawing the away nice. sides? Or who were you? What, were you, what was your role? Like, I didn't see it. I was drawing the away sides, and interestingly, when I did the rehearsal before the show started, I dropped one of the balls, oh. so I was actually really, really nervous that I could destroy it again, but wow. in the end, they all came good, and yeah, they got the uh, semi-finals that some people wanted, yeah. How do you get that job? Who calls you up? Jurgen Club. I just happened to be on, <laughs> definitely wasn't him, I just happened to be doing the TV production for that game on that day. So as a consequence, the, whoever's on as a pundit, you just do the draw. So they did it for the other draws, and I just happened Ooh. to be there. I was not headhunted. I was not headhunted. It just happened. I knew nothing about it until all of a sudden well, they said, well, you may be getting headhunted now. The teams up. No, I think it's interesting, definitely. Yeah, to, exactly. It definitely qualifies as a footballer that you need to rehearse taking balls out of a bag. That seems interesting. <laughs> uh, even for you, Nadam. Better with my feet. Uh, <laughs> better with my feet, yes. <laughs> Jurgen would disagree. Uh, Stevie, who are you most disappointed with in regards to Liverpool's poor <laughs> season? Klopp, the players, or the front office board for not spending enough money for new players? Um, mm. you got to say the players. Mm. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's... 
as we've spoken about already, it's very difficult to be up there all the time. But there has to be a certain level you don't go under. <laughs> they weren't under today. And they've been under more than, <laughs> and a lot more than one under. occasion. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's too many. So I, would have to, I would have to say I'm disappointed in the players, yeah. Uh, when it comes to ageing players like the Liverpool midfield, what are the indications that can tell us that loss of form might only be temporary loss of form instead of a more permanent decline that comes with age? Well, you start giving more fouls away. But that's probably the biggest one, because in the middle of the park, you're probably, as, as much as anybody else on the field, you're making challenges. But you stopped listening at the second part of the question, didn't you? I did, I. Yes, yeah. Oh, because uh, I didn't know there was two parts to it. That's <laughs> <laughs> when I stopped talking. What was the second part? Uh, how do you know the difference between you're getting old and rubbish, as opposed to it's just a loss of form and you can turn it around? Well, you don't. You don't right. know. You, you don't know you're getting old. Okay. You're always the last one to figure that one out. Everybody around you and your coaches will see it because they'll be seeing you doing things differently than from, what from you the outside do. looking in. Do you think, oh, Jordan Henderson is just having a bad run, or he's old? They are definitely looking after him physically because of his age. Right. Which I guess is a nice way of saying. He's getting on. You know what doesn't lie, Stevie? When you watch videos of yourself, and you know you're getting old, right? Right. Or, or at least you, you feel like, you know it what? It takes time that I, I know, but once you start processing it in front of you, you're like, oh, good Lord, I look slow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you can't, you go through stages of, of blaming something else. Right. Well, what did you I'm not eating the right things. Oh, really? <laughs> what? I know eating the right things. I need to. I need to lose. I need to lose three or four pounds. Oh, right. I see. I need to do. Maybe. I'm, I need. I'm not getting enough rest. I'm not hydrating enough. Oh. I'm not. <laughs> and eventually, it, it just hits you, and you go. I'm just getting old. Oh. Nathan, you're renowned, nice. of course, for your pace. Did that start to wane? <laughs> Um, maybe I slowed down a bit, but my starting point, I was like a track sprinter for like nationally anyway before I started, so I wasn't exactly slow when I All left. Right. But I think for me, it's more so, you were so slow, um, you were fast. the way when you start playing the game differently. Yeah, when you start playing the game differently, then you know that something's going on because I think for in this era, there's so much sort of data out there. People can see when your outputs are changing, whether it's your total distance, the sort of like high speed distance that you do. But also, it's a little subtle cue in the way that the younger players now try and play against you. All of a sudden, they want to try and run past you. All of a sudden, they come in to try and press you all the time because they believe that you're not as good as you once were. And I think when that's the case, you have to sort of change the way that you play. When you change the way that you play, before you know it, you're a different player. So I think in terms of like the sense of age and decline, if the game looks different, even though it feels like it should feel the same, then ultimately that's a decline which you'll never be able to get back. Whereas for some, like Stevie said, maybe I'll just lose a bit of weight. Maybe I'll just go and work on crossing into the box. But you know, ultimately, like the game remains undefeated and there's just this flow of players that start off well peak and then before you know it, the decline happens and then the season's done, their career's done and then someone else steps in. I've just seen what Twitter uh, handle Jackie has. Can you read that, Steve? <laughs> Give me $50. Give me $50. Is Casemiro the signing of the season, Ali? I think he gives this team a sense of stability 
in the midfield and structure that they simply did not have before. Look at a player like Fred, for example. When Casemiro wasn't there and Fred was playing, he was, in many of Manchester United fans' eyes, one of the reasons as to why they were not successful. Now you have Casemiro, and Fred all of a sudden is running with energy and getting to tackles and winning challenges. So it's not just the effect of Casemiro and what he brings himself, it's what he does for players around him. I really do think that a player of that caliber, with that history, with that success in, uh, over the course of his career, gives this team a totally different outlook through the midfield. Is he uh, more of a signing of the season than Haaland? No, he is not. Oh, you're not in season. You don't think so? No, I, 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 would, I would rather have Erling Haaland right now than I would Casemiro, but that's no, I'm not... I'm just thinking in terms of the difference he makes to the team. Oh, well, that, that's... You know, I mean, as far as goals are concerned, obviously, he's got more goals. But what Casemiro's done, the difference in Manchester United from before his signing to now is through the roof. I mean, we sat here today talking about People have been talking about saying that Man United are now title challengers. You gave them a 20% chance of winning the title. They're now title challengers. And I'll tell you what, without them. Right. Which is really funny because the first two or three games they played, yep. I was sitting here going, mm. he's mm. rotten. Yep. He looks overweight. He looks, he looks slow. And then all of a sudden, he just turned on the afterburners. Nah. And it depends on how you look at it and what perspective you yeah. take as to what the signing yeah. of the season is because Erling Haaland potentially is going to break records, scoring records, yes. this season. Yeah. So it, it's hard to turn away from that as well. It's a, it's a dawn question, isn't it? If you're picking a team and you've got a choice of the two of them, you mm. pick Haaland, obviously. Right. But. Has the World Cup improved McAllister or it just gave him the recognition and appreciation he already deserves, Alan? Well, I just think his performance in the World Cup put him in a different platform. And, and the World Cup is indeed the biggest stage there is. And so what we saw from him with Argentina in pressure moments in the World Cup undoubtedly forces us to watch Brighton and see Alexis McAllister play and go, man, this guy's a baller. Mm. Now, if he were to play Liverpool every weekend, the version of Liverpool that he played against today this guy will be unstoppable. Generational player. That's how good he was today and how poor Liverpool were today. Uh, final question, Sevilla losing again mm. today. Uh, is it fixable? They're looking at a potential relegation battle that only continued to struggle since the arrival of San Paoli. Right, and so when you make a, a coaching change, you, the thing that we always talk about is that, that bump, right? You're gonna get that push. Well, they got the push, but it was the push down. Yes. It wasn't a push up. And there are some decisions that are now being made at Sevilla that you just don't quite understand. One of the few talented players that they really had in the attack was Isco, and they just kind of let him walk out the door because he had difficulties with Monchi and with uh, Sampaoli and what have you. And they're struggling to score goals. Yep. You let your talented players walk out the door and you're struggling to score goals. It doesn't seem to make sense. Unless, of course, this is a hard-to-beat team. Well, not right now, they're not hard to beat. They're in real trouble. Uh, that is it, Nathan. What game are you at tomorrow?
Uh, not actually. I'm doing a WSL show. No games for me tomorrow. Oh, you can take stuff. it easy. Oh, take it easy, Nathan. Good, good. You deserve a little rest. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, thank you very much for everyone who has been on. It'll be a busy show tomorrow, of course, as we'll reflect on the Spanish Super Cup and the North London derby. Plus, who knows Chelsea, who Chelsea will buy tomorrow. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is to not search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com FC. Just go to Indeed.com FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.